on this episode of Sex and Healing. I don't know what the purpose of sending those kind of messages is. What are you trying to achieve here? You just want to bring me down a peg? You just want to take my light just a little bit? Don't enjoy that too much because you're going to lose it one day? Like, pure projection. That I'm better off being in a situation of surrounding myself with people who do deeply love and accept and validate who I am and encourage who I am and provide value to who I am. Now, this is another fundamental basic fucking message that I'm sure you know. We cannot please everyone. There's always going to be haters. There's always going to be people judging us. But we don't need to minimise ourselves to try and minimise our exposure to that. That no matter what happens, that we come back to this space where we feel valid and safe and loved in the fullness of who we are and not when we behave well or not when we're not too sensitive or not when we're not gay, whatever it might be. Welcome back to the Sex and Healing Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Kiner, and thank you so much for joining me as we take this wild ride together through the realms of sex and healing. Today's episode is all about the fact that you are valid. This is completely unscripted, completely unprepared. (laughs) I just have all this freaking energy in my heart and my mind, and I must get it out. This lesson has been building up slowly over the last couple of weeks. I spoke about it in my Welcome Back to Season 3 episode about the human design reading that I had, some really powerful conversations I had with my previous partner and with my healer, and how all of this has been leading me to just fully own who I am. Full power, Erin, no holding back. But there's a little bit more nuance to this lesson that I want to share today, and that's about our validity, that who we are as a unique individual is completely valid. So a lot of this comes from my own personal experience, and a lot of these lessons are simply a more refined and more embodied understanding of something that we already know. So at this level of awareness, it's not necessarily that they're new lessons or things that you don't know, it's that you're going deeper and deeper into what you already know. So where shall I start? The other night I was playing this questions-based game that a friend of mine made called The Little Big Truths, and that's a digital PDF fantastic game that you can find on Instagram, and they're just beautiful reflective questions that allow your conversations to go deeper and create more intimacy and vulnerability between people. And so even though with my friendships, we share an amazing amount of vulnerability and intimacy and depth and honesty and understanding, it allows us to go even deeper. And one of the questions in there said, what is something, what is a strength of yours that you don't feel, that you feel you should be more acknowledged for or something along those lines? Or what is something about you that you feel that people don't acknowledge? And for me, I thought it's my strength. It's my ability to work through and process huge lessons. And because I'm doing it all the time, because I'm capable of doing it, I think some people underestimate how hard it is or how deep it is or how difficult it is for me to move through it. It's like people assume that I'm strong. People assume that I'm capable. People assume that I've got my stuff together. And so when I share stuff like this and when I share my vulnerabilities and what I'm working through, often people just go, oh, yeah, 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 like you already know that or you're the teacher, you, you know this stuff, Erin, or like, oh, yeah, I've gone through that with my family too, like your friends are your family. And I'm like, uh, yeah, thanks, but <laughs> it's a lot bigger than that. I might not look like I'm struggling on the surface or you might assume that because I'm your teacher or I've been teaching this stuff before that like – this is insignificant. It's actually not insignificant. It's massive. So I think about an earlier episode that I did called be all of you. That's essentially the same message that I'm sharing today. It's just that my own awareness of it has gone even deeper 
So that doesn't invalidate the past message that I shared and the truth of that and how real and deep that was. But this is saying that, holy fuck, there's even more nuance to this. There's an even deeper level of embodiment to this. So if this is in particular a really big lesson in my lifetime, the fact that I'm cycling through the same lesson and going deeper and deeper and deeper is, I guess it's just indicating that this is something that in my lifetime is vast. (laughs) So even though by most people's standard, when they look at me, they would say, oh, Erin owns who she is. Erin's not a people pleaser. Erin's very confident in who she is. She knows who she is. I look up to her for those things. She's a teacher and a guide of mine. That's all still true. And guess what? There's fucking more. There's always more. I would say that I own myself and I live in this state of authenticity more than most people. And I'm also constantly looking inside of myself for more remnants of those lessons, for more refined understanding so that I can continue to expand and express. There's no way that I am absolutely finished my lessons and my growth in this lifetime. No one is. So whatever those lessons are, they just keep going deeper. So as I share what I'm sharing today, some of you may think, yeah, but Erin, you know that. Yeah, but Erin, you've already taught us that. Or like that previous podcast was the same thing. Yes, that's true. And guess what? I just fucking found more. (laughs) I found more ways inside of myself that I was fucking holding back, even though I didn't think I was. So I have been watching this amazing show on Netflix called Pose. And I think this has really touched me in a more profound way than what I would think that a TV show could do. (laughs) But it's about a group of transgender women in the 80s and 90s in New York. The storyline, the characters, the development of the characters is so fucking well done. I very rarely watch TV. I very rarely watch series. I, I despise almost everything on TV for its quality and its there's lots of things that I don't like about it. And yet this show is magnificent. When I came out, it must've been around the year 2000. And I guess I I first started understanding myself as a bisexual, but then I actually identified as a lesbian for 12 years. And if we think about that, that's 20 years ago. That's a really long time from now and where the world's at now and and what people's experience is if they were to come out now. And as I'm watching the show based in the 80s and then battling things like losing friends to HIV and the misunderstanding around the AIDS pandemic at the time, that was actually still something that is quite relevant when I came out. Interestingly, the same astrology that we're under now with today's pandemic is the same astrology that we were under in the 80s when AIDS happened. So there's a huge collective fear. There's a huge misunderstanding. That's my kitten. (laughs) That's not too much of a distraction and the kitten goes to sleep soon. But the AIDS pandemic when it started was hugely misunderstood and was obviously an outlet for people's open expression of their homophobia and the misinformation behind it and the morality that they believed was behind the AIDS pandemic. So when I came out, there were many people in my world, many of my friends that were diagnosed with HIV. I had friends that were transitioning their gender. I know of people that took their lives Obviously, things get better and better and better as we go on, but certainly at that time, it was more difficult to identify as gay than what it is today. And I know that for each of us, as we move through the world, we make way for the people that came before, that come after us. The people before us make way for us. So I really take my hat off to people prior to 2000 who had the strength and the courage to own who they were despite the external difficulties and the judgments and the exclusion, the societal consequences of being honest and open about who you are. 
So I've been watching these stories and I just feel it so deeply. It reminds me of my story. And in the grand scheme of stories, mine was easy. There are people who had far greater consequences and far more difficulties than I did. And yet that doesn't invalidate my experience at all. And it doesn't invalidate yours. We don't need to compare ourselves. We just are who we are. But I just recognize how much of myself I see in this story and I just can't recommend it enough. I think it's on Netflix in Indonesia, but I don't think it's on Netflix in Australia. If you're listening from Australia, it's on Stan, but either way you can get it. They've got three seasons. Hello, kitten. Okay. I think the kitten's going to go to sleep. (laughs) This might be a regular thing on the podcast from here on out. So Pose has really touched me and it shows me how invalidated trans people were and there's some really powerful lines in this show some really powerful stories and apparently all the actors who are transgendered people brought their own personal experience into the scripting as well so they're really acting from a very true and authentic place it's just if someone was to choose that life path for themselves despite all that difficulty and rejection and pain, imagine how much how true it must be inside that you're willing to pay that price to be who you are. I just have so much love and respect for that, so much compassion and empathy, especially back then and especially women of colour, Latinos, who the characters, many of the characters are. So pose is one thing that's really had an impact on me. Another thing that I came across on YouTube was a Christian couple and I was researching calm and gentle parenting for many reasons (laughs) because I do anticipate having a child one day, but also a lot of people project their shit onto me and say, oh, you don't know how hard it is as a parent. You're not going to have those freedoms when you've got kids. And I'd done an Instagram story where I was in my dressing gown by 5.30 p.m. and saying, I fucking love being home and in my dressing gown by 5.30 p.m. Who else loves this? And I got a response from someone that's a mum that said, well, enjoy that freedom while it lasts because when you have kids, you won't get that anymore. If you're listening to the podcast, you can't see me rolling my eyes, but those of you on YouTube can see me. But I hope you can hear my response to that. I don't know what the purpose of sending those kind of messages in is. What are you trying to achieve here? You just want to bring me down a peg? You just want to take my light just a little bit? Don't enjoy that too much because you're going to lose it one day? Like pure projection, is that jealousy? Is that insecurity of the life that I've created for myself or the freedoms that I have? And so I wrote back and said, oh, ha, 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 it's funny that you say that because I said to my roommate, "This this must be what it feels like when you've got kids and you're home early and you're cooking dinner and showering before the sun goes down. And she wrote in response to that, No, the kids get fed and showered before the sun goes down. The parents are lucky if they've got time to eat and shower at the end of a chaotic day. Okay. (laughs) That's your reality. That's what you've created for yourself. That doesn't mean that's what I'm going to have. I already live a life that many people don't believe is possible. If I listened to the mainstream and told them of the life I wanted to live and the things, the freedoms and the amazing opportunity I've created for myself. Do you know how many people would have told me it's not possible and it's not like that? And that's true and valid. That's their experience, but it doesn't need to be mine. And I know that when I have a child, I will be prioritizing enjoying a meal together, having a peaceful life. What do I need to do to create a peaceful parenting experience? Like I have a lot of compassion for people and parents that are doing it tough and who are burnt out and overwhelmed and stressed and exhausted and depleted, but I don't believe that has to be my experience. I believe that I can create and I will create something different. So I started researching, like I wanted evidence of people who are having calm and gentle parenting experiences where it doesn't have to be chaotic and it doesn't have to be distressing and it doesn't have to be depleting. So I came across this couple and I'm really drawn to them. Like they're just really, they're wholesome and they're just really appealing to me, (laughs) but it turns out they're very, very strong Christians and everything that they do is about glorifying the Lord, sharing scripture, 
helping people understand how scripture fits into your life, how your life needs to fit around scripture. And I don't mind that. I'm not a religious person, but I'm a deeply spiritual person. I have my own personal relationship with the energy that I would call Jesus and with Mother Mary. And I went to Catholic school. I have had exposure to scripture and that religious way of being, but my my connection with those beings is very different and it's based on my own inner experience. And so I look at these guys and I think, you are the perfect example of Christian conditioning where I believe that their true nature, the essence of who they are, is very well suited to the lifestyle in which they've been raised and the belief system in which they've been raised and the belief systems that they're now imposing upon their children and teaching their children and scripture-based, religion-based upbringing. So I think it's great for them. And they're a shining example of how suitable that is for them. But when I put myself in their shoes, I feel a great sense of distress because I never would have been okay being raised like that because the essence of who I am is deemed wrong by the church. That scripture does not support being bisexual. Scripture does not support being kinky. Scripture does not support being poly. Many of the things that I've come to know myself as are not okay. And the same life experience that has really served these couple, apparently served them and allows them to thrive and have great success is the same belief system that would have caused me a lot of pain and distress and invalidation of who I am. So then I watch another documentary and it's called Pray Away and it's about gay conversion therapy. And I knew I was going to torture myself a little bit by watching this. I knew it was going to be a bit upsetting, but I was also quite captivated and interested to understand. And so they interview a number of leaders from this gay conversion movement who, after decades of preaching to these people that they need to change, that they can change, that they should change, that the kingdom of heaven is available to them if they change, that after decades of this message, they came to accept that they haven't changed themselves and that they are gay and they can see the damage of their message of how invalidating it was to so many people and at the end of the documentary, the statistics show that young people in conversion therapy are twice as likely to commit suicide as their LGBTQ peers. How invalidating it is to say that you should change. And it wasn't so much that you should change. If you want to change, you can. But the thing is, essentially, these people were lying and they knew that they were lying on some level. Now, I can completely relate to that. I battled with my own sexual orientation for a really long time, even though I identified as lesbian. I grew up in communities where bisexual women within that community were, uh, how would I say it? They were judged differently. They were treated differently almost excommunicated from the, the belonging that lesbians, in inverted commas, that go back to men and not real lesbians. I struggled with my own attraction to men that whole time, feeling wrong for that attraction, feeling like this thing inside of me was going to change people's experience and opinion of me. When I think about my coming out story, I feel like I've come out three times, as weird as that is. For me, first to claim that I was a lesbian was easy enough. I was young. I didn't feel like I had a really strong identity that people were going to misunderstand or like put their expectations on me. 
I was reckless. I was on drugs. I was surrounded by other gay people. Like it didn't really bother me. When my marriage ended and I decided that I wished to go back and explore with men, I then that was a real sense of coming out for me. That was a real difficult challenge because I had this extended history of who people knew me to be in this identity and to have to change that and, and then feel that fear of losing people or people treating you differently for just being more true to who you are. That was really, really difficult. And then it was through my previous partner who actually said, baby, you know that you're bisexual. You know that you have a block around this. And I could feel it. I could feel that that was true, but I couldn't understand why. Why would I struggle with that? I'd been attracted to women the whole time. I'd had female lovers since my marriage had ended, my same-sex marriage. What is this block? And he helped me understand that it never felt safe for me to be bisexual in the gay communities. And I just carried that fear into any kind of heterosexual community, if that's what you'd call it. Essentially, I didn't really have any bisexual or gay friends as part of my like regular rotation of people that I was seeing. And he said, you're afraid of being excluded from here too. And biphobia is a very real thing. And I wouldn't say it's any kind of phobia. I don't have a fear around it, but I definitely struggled to accept it and to feel validated in that, just to feel valid. In this documentary, Pray Away, about the conversion therapy, they essentially uh, theorize homosexuality as coming from a bad relationship with the same-sex parent or abuse in your past. And because I did have sexual abuse in my past, I also carried that fear that this is not who I really am or this is just a reaction to what I went through or people are going to find out who I really am, this fear, this just this secret that was held inside of me that I was so scared I was going to lose love for. And as I watched that documentary, I thought, fuck, that even affected me. Those lies that were perpetuated by people who were not being true about who they were because the conditioning had been so strong that who you are is wrong and bad and you will not be granted access to the kingdom of heaven for being who you are, the truth of who you are. Holy shit. How invalidated have we been for being who we are? Now, I'm extremely sensitive, emotional being, and I was raised in an extremely avoidant family. And there is something called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Test, which is something that they do to measure trauma. Now, trauma can't really be measured by events that happen to you. It's more about how you respond to those events because two people could go through the same experience and have very different responses to it. But the Adverse Childhood Experiences Test gives you a bit of a ballpark to understand these can be really abusive experiences that people go through. And it can help you understand your formative experiences. And it's on a scale of 10. And I've actually, I rate at 7 out of 10 of these adverse childhood experiences, coupled with the fact that I'm extremely sensitive and emotional being, coupled with the fact that I'm raised in this incredibly emotionally avoidant family that completely invalidates my true nature of being emotional and being sensitive and my needs that I have around that. And also wanting to be a nun from the time I was five, like desperately feeling this calling to God and being raised in an atheist family. There are just so many layers in my life I'm starting to reflect upon now that actually were these tacit, silent, unspoken messages a lot of the time that says you're not okay, <laughs> you're not valid in that, you need to be something different that your love and your acceptance and most importantly your safety is dependent on you being something other than what you are because when you're sensitive and when you're emotional, you're more excluded, you're more misunderstood, you're more at risk of harm than if you were more like us. 
So as I think about my own validity, my own validation of the truth of who I am, I have battled this fear of abandonment my whole life and that's mainly because of these early formative experiences. I'm doing some EMDR around my fear of abandonment right now, which is eye movement desensitization and reprogramming, which is essentially the gold standard therapy for trauma. And it's where they take these traumatic memories that are stored in one part of the brain and can actually reprogram them to be different types of memories so they don't hold the same kind of trauma response. So I had to think about the first most, the biggest and most prominent memory around abandonment and then essentially extrapolate the core belief that came out of that, which for me is that I'm not lovable and therefore I'm not safe. So if I could be loved and if I could be accepted, then that would protect me from safety. And when I'm not loved, I'm abandoned. And that leaves me in situations in which I'm unsafe or in which I was experiencing abuse. So that one belief has carried through with me in multiple ways throughout my life. So I basically had to create this memory map of once I worked out that belief that I'm not lovable and therefore I'm not safe, we went back to the earliest memory that I have where that belief system was triggered and then we moved forward throughout my life and tracked every belief, every traumatic memory that I have associated with that belief. The beautiful thing was like there were all these childhood experiences and then for the 12 years that I was married there was nothing. There was no fear of abandonment. It only arose again through the breakup and dissolution of that marriage and subsequent experiences. But I'm just so grateful to have had such a significant window of my life where I felt so emotionally safe and where our love provided each other with a sense of safety that we never had to, I didn't even realize I had an abandonment thing until recently. And I'm 39 years old now. You can just learn to function around your trauma or build a life where the trauma doesn't show itself. So I have this memory map of 15 traumatic memories, which is not a pleasant experience to go through and recount those all in one go back to back. But then we create a memory map of the alternate belief, which for me is that I'm inherently lovable. And I just had to create five memories around that. But the beautiful thing is I could easily create 15. I actually have plenty of life experiences. Interestingly, there was only one from my family of origin that I could really hold strong to. And that was from my nan who would let me dress up as a nun and she would find people to take me to Sunday school. (laughs) She really let me be me. Otherwise they are through friends and lovers that I've had that really see me and honor me and love me and support me. So despite a lot of positive life experiences, because these traumatic experiences hold this trauma response and because they're in these early formative years of my life, where you discover about who you are in the world, they still have their grip on me. So now that we're going through the process of releasing that, and as I'm getting to the point where I'm not trying to force people to love, not that I'm trying to force or haven't ever tried to force someone to love me, but because the fear of abandonment was operating underneath the surface of everything, and especially the fear of abandonment of my family, losing my family, like I don't have strong bonds with my family anyway, And so the tiny little threads that I had, if I'd lost that, I was so terrified of losing that. And now I feel like I'm experiencing it. I'm experiencing the rejection and the misunderstanding and I don't have them in my life and I feel fucking amazing. I feel so light and free in a way that I haven't because I'm not holding on to something so afraid of feeling the feelings that I'm going to be abandoned when I've been liberated of that and I realize there's nothing to be afraid of, that I'm going to be okay, that I'm better off being in a situation of surrounding myself with people who do deeply love and accept and validate who I am and encourage who I am and provide value to who I am, then I'm actually thriving, that I feel a lightness and a sense of self-acceptance that I haven't felt before. And that directly translates into this message of I'm valid. I can be all of me. I no longer have to try and make my message palatable, which is what I've been doing is like, how can I share my message in a way that most people can receive it? How can I share this in a way that's going to trigger the least amount of people? 
how can I, like I hold back so much from sharing political opinions online that would be polarizing. Certainly in my immediate world, with my close and trusted friends, I'm completely myself and I'll, I'll say my highly judgmental opinionated things about the world and I'm not afraid of, you know, I get to choose who I'm sharing that with and it's people that I believe are loving and accepting and understanding of me and we can work through things and we can have different opinions and it's not a threat. But I haven't done that in the wider world. I haven't done that through my work or my social media because I don't want to deal with people's criticism. But essentially, there is no way not to get criticized on this planet. We are always going to. Now, this is another fundamental basic fucking message that I'm sure you know. We cannot please everyone. There's always going to be haters. There's always going to be people judging us. But we don't need to minimize ourselves to try and minimize our exposure to that. If we can just accept that it's part of it. And when I'm no longer being operated, I'm no longer operating on this fear that I'm going to be abandoned then I can be so free. I can be so much more me. And I know what that's going to mean for you guys, for the people that do want to hear my message and the people that benefit from my message and the people that I'm here to serve and the people that are aligned with me. Like I'm just so fucking excited and so relieved and feel so light by letting go of yet another layer of which I've been holding myself back. (laughs) Like, How's that even possible? It's me. I thought I was owning myself. (laughs) I thought I was confident in who I am. And yes, that's true. And there's more. There's always more. So I would highly recommend you watch Pose to see these characters, to see these stories. I hope that it opens your heart and brings more compassion and understanding to stories that are different from your own to promote trans visibility. You know, people in these marginalized communities to really humanize them, to bring compassion and empathy to other people's life experience who's so different from ours. And plus it's just entertaining. It's just fucking great. If you wish to watch Pray Away and look at this gay conversion therapy, it was also fascinating, heartbreaking but fascinating. And I'm so glad for those people that they can own themselves as gay or bisexual and that they can continue having their spiritual beliefs that are important to them, but beliefs that are inclusive of their worthiness and their lovability and their holiness and sacredness in the truth of who they are. And what I really believe is that our true nature is Nature's going to have its way. We can lie and hide and deny our true nature for so long, but one day it's going to burst out of you. You cannot lie about the truth of who you are for the rest of your life. You could and make yourself very sick as a result, but I believe essentially our soul and our spirit is going to have its way. We're just going to take a quick break in the episode here to share some love for our amazing sponsor, Maeve. Pleasure is good for you. Unleash and expand your self-pleasure or explore fresh partner intimacy with Maeve. Maeve is your elegant guided pleasure app with a continuously growing audio library of erotic stories, guided sessions, and soundscapes created by top-notch creative writers, sex and relationship therapists, poets, and orgasmic life experts, and brought to life by the most sultry voices and soundscapes. Give yourself or a lucky one the gift of pleasure and use the code ERIN20 to get 20% off your subscription. Details can be found in the show notes or head to withmave.com. Now let's jump back into the episode. You know, I also apply this theory or the principles of this discussion, not just to my sexual orientation, but my sexual expression and being a very kinky person and having had kinky desires for all of my life that were misunderstood and judged and shamed and shut down. And And even now, I was just thinking that I was on the beach yesterday with a friend and we were playing Little Big Truths and one of the questions is, do you have any kinks? And I laughed at that and she was like, "Mm, not really, I guess just being dominated. And I said, yeah, that is a kink. That would be understood as a kink. And she goes, do we have enough time to hear yours? (laughs) 
And I said, well, basically everything. And she's like, everything. And I was like, just about. And she's like, "Mm, what about this? And I was like, yep. (laughs) And she's like, oh my God. Okay. What about this? And I'm like, uh, yep. (laughs) She's like, damn girl. I was trying to think of the weirdest, you know, craziest stuff, but you like it all. And I was like, yeah, just about, I like it all. And you know, she wasn't saying that in judgment of me. She's just a very vanilla person she's been exposed to it through other people in her life that are kinky. So she actually has no judgment of it, but there is still that understanding of like, these things are fucking crazy. Like they're so far from the norm or the mainstream, but in fact, they're not. It's just that few people have the courage to overcome the shame and the conditioning and the judgment that keeps us in denial of what we really want. So I am very proud of my sexual expression. I absolutely love being kinky and I love being kinky because it's just me. And I love being bisexual because it's just me. (laughs) And I love being spiritual and sensitive and emotional because it's me, not because I'm trying to be anything, but because that's the truth of who I am. And it just feels fucking great to be true to who I am. Even if I'm extremely different, even if I'm on the far edge of the spectrum in almost every scale you could put me on. (laughs) I was saying that to my counselor, like whatever measuring stick you want to place against me, I'm likely to come out on one side of that spectrum. I have lots of dualities inside of me, which is amazing. Like I can be so many different things, but I'm, I'm more of those things than the majority of people. And when I was in my human design reading and learning how much of this is being reflected in my human design chart, I laughed. I was like, oh, my God, my poor family. (laughs) Imagine being, what do they call it, like the guardian, I guess. Imagine the universe saying, here, this is the being that you are here to raise in the world. (laughs) Oh, my God. What would you do? What would you do with a being like me when it's so far from you and so far from anything that you've known or experienced? Like, it's extreme. But one of those dualities that I have inside me is I'm also very normal. And I look normal and I act normal. I pass in so many ways as just being the same as everyone else, which is a wonderful thing and given me great life experiences in many ways. And then on the other side, makes it hard to be acknowledged for all the other things that I am. And, you know, I think if you raise someone with an extreme personality who decided to express themselves as a goth, they want their visual appearance to express their inner reality and everyone would know that they're different and they would respond accordingly and some of that response would be negative and judgmental and make their life experience more difficult and in some other ways it would make them more understood and more accepted by the right people and if someone had some sort of neurodivergence and a learning difficulty and then the family are aware of that then they can make allowances for such things and maybe use alternative schooling systems or get additional support or change the way the household is run. Like I've got a beautiful friend who's got two children with um, with autism and their entire household is run in a different way to support the livelihood of her children. It's so inspiring to me. I have so much admiration for that kind of parenting where so much accommodation has gone into the needs of the children. I would encourage all parents to do that. But most importantly, I would encourage all parents to ensure also that their needs are being met first, that they can find ways to healthily sustain their own well-being so that they can then meet the very different needs of these children who are very special very misunderstood a lot of the time, having a more difficult life experience much of the time, but incredibly special. And if we can come from that lens of looking at their uniqueness and honoring and cherishing their uniqueness, eliciting the greatness and their potential, 
not comparing them to anyone else, but what's their unique potential and how can the parents create environments to elicit that potential? Oh man, bow down. So much respect for that. So much respect. So in some ways I feel like I need a life. I create a life for myself now, definitely, that is accommodative, accommodating of my uniqueness, of my unique needs, knowing that I'm very different from others, knowing that it's incredibly important that I live in an area that is very sensitive, energetically high vibration, we could say, <laughs> that I'm in nature a lot, that I'm away from a lot of the density of city living and those kind of belief systems that are not serving of me and oh God, there's just so many things that I need. And I'm so blessed to have found that in Bali, the connection with the earth and the, uh, the spirituality that's on this Island and the connection to the elements and to the planets and to the gods and to prayer and devotion and to be surrounded by such high consciousness people who are breaking down the norms of society and chasing their dreams and building their own businesses and being bold and brave and getting to understand who they are. Like, of course, that's not everyone on this island, but I'm lucky to have found a pocket of people who are very much like that, who are understanding of who I am and encouraging of who I am. And we share similar belief systems and we share, you know, a similar way of processing and communicating and living and, you know, I want that for everyone on the planet, not to have what I have, but to have what's right for you and to find your people and to live in line with the way that's right for you. There's no better or worse. There's just uniqueness. So if we all found our own space, if we all built a life around our uniqueness and found our tribe and found where we belong and found those people who unconditionally support us, if it doesn't come from our family, we can go and create it and if you're anything like me, people have been telling you that forever. Yeah, but your family's, your friends are your family. Yeah, your friends are your family. Yes, yes, yes. I get that. Thank you. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about here. It's on a much, much deeper level, but that has become true for me now. As I release those bonds from my family, those expectations and attachments, and I'm willing to be completely free and alone on the planet, it is my truth that my friends are my family the people who see me and love me and accept me and validate me and encourage me and love me and love being around me for those things. And not everyone's going to feel that way. And that's so okay. But what I wish for the world is that all parents raise their children. Well, all parents get the chance to become self-aware enough of their own uniqueness, that they've built a life around their needs and fulfilling their potential. And that we get to parent from that place where we get to create a space free of projection and expectation onto children. And that we get to discover their uniqueness and their needs, and then build them a life that allows for that freedom of expression without us trying to condition them into something like one of the biggest messages that I heard as a kid, I lived in this emotionally devoid house where uh, I can't even begin to explain to you how unemotionally operating my family was, but they used to always say, we're not doing this for you now. We're doing this for who you are as an adult. We're doing this for who you are as an adult. That was like, we're going to deny you the short-term gratification that you're looking for with the hope that it's going to serve you better in the long term. But that didn't work for me. I'm sure that there were some lessons that my parents imposed upon me that do serve me now. But my belief is that I am who I am because of my inherent nature, not because of the environment. Like I had to react to that environment. I had to overcome so much. But the only reason that I was capable of overcoming so much was because of who I am. And that the majority of people who had my life experience would not be thriving in the way that I am now. I just believe that there's this thing inside of me that no one could teach me, that no one could develop in me. That's my own innate willingness to survive. That's my own willpower. It's my own character. It's just who I am. And it continues to be expressed now, but except rather than overcoming so much, I'm constantly focused on thriving and succeeding and going beyond. But 
a lot of people don't have that quality. So I would want families to create spaces for children that doesn't give them so much to overcome. Life is challenging enough. Life is always going to give us adversity and we need adversity to grow. But if our home, if our family unit can be the safe haven from the world, the place where we feel safety and acceptance and comfort, if we can feel not protected from the world, not smothered, but safe and loved, that no matter what happens, that we come back to this space where we feel valid and safe and loved in the fullness of who we are and not when we behave well or not when we're not too sensitive or not when we're not gay, whatever it might be. Imagine that world. Imagine those humans that we would be raising where we would be providing the ultimate environment for their growth, which is the right amount of love and the right amount of support and understanding and availability, emotional availability. So when I was watching the Wisdom of Trauma documentary by Gabor Mate, which was very confronting and overwhelming in many ways because I could relate to so much of it with my own story of being a drug addict and being in so much pain as a result of my traumas, he said that children have two needs, just two. One is attachment and the second is authenticity. That fucking broke my heart. And inspired me at the same time because growing up in an avoidant family, there was no attachment. There was no safety and authenticity is something that I feel so passionate about now being so true to who I am, which I guess is the message of this podcast too. Children need that from us. Children need us to do the work on ourselves to get to the point where we understand ourselves and we know ourselves and we love ourselves and we're not avoiding, we're not detaching, we're not hiding in drugs and alcohol or any other kind of addiction, but where we know ourselves and where we can then, as a result of that, provide space for that child's authentic expression. Like children are so sensitive. They can pick up who's lying, who's avoiding, who's they will act out as a result of the dysfunction at the parents. But where we've gone wrong is that we often look at the child as the problem. If the child is acting out in behavioral problems, eating disorders, anxieties, addictions, we look at the child as the problem. But what happens in the family unit is that the child is often expressing what the family unit isn't. So when I look at my extreme emotionality, my extreme sensitivity, I am expressing that on behalf of my entire family who refuse to feel emotions, who refuse to acknowledge and honor emotions or acknowledge and honor the truth. Avoidance, the shutdown, the not willing to look at that stuff. And yet the child who can feel everything, and especially a child like me who is so sensitive and tapped in, expresses everything. So often when you look at the dysfunction in the child, what's necessary is to go to the adults to go to the parental figures and have a look at what's going on there. What's also super, super important is accountability, parental accountability, that they're, I'm going to call them failures, and I don't mean to say that in a means to judge parents, but the ways in which the parents are still learning and they have not been able to provide the children with the environment or the healthy family dynamics that they need there needs to be parental responsibility for that. Not excuses, not justifications, not claiming their own traumas. Like, of course, they've got traumas. Everyone does. The generations that come before us are always more traumatized. The coming generations are going to be gifted so much. I started the podcast with this message about the gay community, the ones that come before us lead the way. So, of course, they've got traumas. We all understand that there's compassion for that. And yet there needs to be accountability and responsibility in order to heal these family dynamics. We need to each be holding responsibility for that, which we're responsible for. That can't be placed onto one person that cannot be avoided or deflected or ignored or denied. This is something that happens in family constellation therapy as well. On the energetic level is that each ancestor must hold their own trauma because that's the only way it can be healed. If someone is projecting it, 
and denying it and justifying what they went through and completely denying someone else's experience, then there is no healing that can take place. We must, of course there is healing that can take place, but it's going to limit how much healing can take place. We each need to be personally accountable and responsible. And for those people who choose to be parents and choose to bring children into the world must be responsible for that and must take accountability. And if they have failed in any way, if they have not provided an environment that is free from danger, you know, unnecessary danger or abuse or whatever it might be, that has to come down to the responsibility of the parent. So if you're a parent listening, then I ask you to think about that. And if you're a child that hasn't yet had their own children, then I ask you to think about that too, to retain a sense of accountability to your children, of being able to own, like we're all doing our best. I get that. I am blessed to be in the situation that I'm in that has given me so much time to develop myself and to become self-aware and to heal, to become aware of my needs and be able to focus on my needs before I have children. But I did choose that. That is something that I wanted in order to not continue to perpetuate this multi-generational trauma that gets passed down. And I know not everyone makes that choice and I know not everyone has this freedom and that's absolutely okay, but we all can still be accountable and self-responsible and look at what's ours and be really mindful of the fact that these kind of messages get passed down not only directly but indirectly to future generations. The the amazing work that people have done to come before us, the boldness that it takes to step out into the world and say, this is who I am, despite a fear of rejection and despite social consequences, they are doing it for all of us. They are helping us shift the consciousness on the planet to make way and make space for a more inclusive and accepting and loving reality for all of us. Anytime we have judgment and dogma and indoctrination and fear-based beliefs that we're projecting onto others of our own righteousness, we are perpetuating pain on the planet. We're perpetuating exclusion. There is a way of accepting our differences and our difference of opinions and our own internal belief systems without imposing it on others. But it takes a high level of self-awareness. But people, my beloved audience, this is where we're heading. This is the work that we're doing. We're doing it right now. We're listening to this kind of content it is changing. So I love you. And I fucking say that when I mean it. I mean it when I say it. (laughs) I mean it when I say it. I love you. And you are so valid. And I am so valid. We are so valid. And that is an amazing thing. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I love you all so much. Please let me know what your takeaways were, whether you've got any questions, come and share the love on Instagram. Otherwise, I look forward to seeing you in the next episode, my beloveds. And until then, laugh loud and fuck louder. Mwah.